what happened in his life. He clearly was grounded in his home to love others that were not as advanced and skilled and talented. And he didn't forget that. And that's what comes out in these radio talks. And I think that we today we'd call that an EQ along with an IQ. Yeah. He had an emotional quotient that said, I have to care about those that don't know what I know. And it's not for me that I know them. All, to whom much is given, much is required. And so he was committed to advancing the faith. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey guys, before we start this episode with Dr. Peter Lilback on the book, Things Unseen, Radio Addresses from Dr. J. Gresham Machen, it's an introduction to Reformed theology. Please listen to the end of this episode to find out how you can get free shipping on top of an already discounted book through Westminster Bookstore with a coupon code we'll give you at the end of this episode. So we hope to see you guys on the other side. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at guiltgracepod or Santa Ana URC for the same signup link or simply email us at santaannareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Hello, everyone. It's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is a book club episode presented by your brothers in Christ, Nick and Peter, from the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast. We bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. As a reminder, as always, check out our show notes after listening to today's episode. We are today interviewing Dr. Peter Lilback on the book, Things Unseen, A Systematic Introduction to the Christian Faith and Reformed Theology, J. Gresham Machen. It's published by Westminster Seminary Press, and there's a forward preface introduction and afterward by Sinclair Ferguson, Stephen J. Nichols, who we've had on the show before, Timothy Keller, and Richard Gaffin Jr. So this book is really great because it's going to introduce you guys to Jay Gresham Machen, who is someone, as you'll learn here in a few minutes, very important in the Reformed Christian theology in fairly recent times, but much more is talked about in this book, in this very unique, incredible book. Um, as a reminder about the links in our show notes, one of our links is to the Network of Society of Reformed Podcasters. There's also another couple of links to find a Reformed church near you if you need a biblically focused church to call home. That link is the North American Presbyterian and Reformed Churches, which includes the PCA, URC, OPC, among others. And of course, we have another link for Baptist brothers and sisters out there for you as well. So for today's book club, we're honored and thankful to have Dr. Peter Lilback, 
and he'll be talking to us about the brand new book from Westminster <clears throat> Seminary Press called Things Unseen. Yeah, we have Dr. Peter Loback, PhD from Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He's the president and professor of historical theology and church history at Westminster Theological Seminary, also serves as president emeritus and founder of Providence Forum, senior editor of the new Unio Cum Cristo, it's a journal of reform theology and life. He has a couple of books out on John Calvin, but we're specifically talking to him because he's the president of Westminster Theological Seminary, and he's on the line after John Gresham Machen, who wrote this book after these radio addresses. We're, we're excited to talk to somebody who has some sort of link to Dr. Machen. So thanks for coming on, Dr. Loback. Thank you, Brother Peter and Nick. What a pleasure to be with you. I'm here in Philadelphia, and the greetings to all the folks on the other side of the country and probably around the world now, since this podcast must go everywhere. Yep, it yep. does. Yeah, it's probably, I think we hit 70 countries not too long ago. So it's that fabulous. It's, uh, it's reading, yeah, reaching, reaching the masses. So we're, we're excited to do this. Yep. Well, that's yeah, good. It's it's an honor to be with you guys. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. So this book is very unique, as I was kind of mentioning before, um, in the way it's written in red and laid out. But I think we would have to start this off by introducing the audience to who uh, J. Gresham Machen, John Gresham Machen is, why he was so important. Maybe just kind of, since you filled his shoes and you're now in his position at Westminster, maybe you can explain to the audience who he was and why it's so important in 2021 to have a book written about him. Well, very good. Well, let me begin by saying that uh, I really don't fill his shoes. <laughs> as, as the founder, prophet, leader, professor of the seminary, no one yeah. can quite take his place. Right. In fact, when Westminster started, the vision was for a faculty-run institution, hmm. and so there wasn't even a president. It was uh, he was just the founder with the faculty. Yeah, and so we like to think of our first president as. Uh, a man by the name of Edmund Clowney, who That's came right, around yeah. maybe 30 or 40 years later to become the first president. So I'm president number four following. Uh, the, so I I'm, I only uh, carry the water for Jay Gresham Machen. So you got to get that right. I'm the water boy. Yeah, uh, like uh, like the John the Baptist is unfit to tie the, the, the sandals of the of Jesus. <laughs> there's there's tremendous parallels there. So. So as we think about uh, Machen, we need to remember he was a, a, a very gifted linguist. Hmm. He uh, was his book on New Testament Greek is still used to this day in various schools. It's a classic on teaching biblical Greek. Uh, he was uh, someone who had uh, s served as a pacifist in World War One, but hmm. wanted to support his country and ministry. So he went with the YMCA to do. Uh, humanitarian work with soldiers on the front. So there's a book that Westminster has published called Letters from the Front that talk about his uh, writing back and forth to home during that time. But what is his significant role was early on as a young professor, he saw the drift toward modernist liberal theology, and he came to the conclusion that it was not historic Christianity. And he had the daring uh, to publish a book called Christianity and Liberalism and say they're two different religions. Yeah, yeah. So by writing that book, he 
created a firestorm of opposition where they're saying, you mean I'm not a Christian because I'm a liberal? He yeah. says, yes, that's true, because you deny the Bible, you deny Christ, you deny the resurrection, you've lost the historic tenets yeah. of the Christian faith. Well, that debate moved along until what became known as the reorganization of Princeton Theological Seminary, where they required that the board had to represent the theological uh, breadth of the denomination. And at that moment, Machen said, well, then Princeton is the historic bastion of old Presbyterianism, the classic theology of B.B. Warfield and the confessional forefathers of the Westminster divines. He said, that's all gone. It's time to start a new seminary. And so what he did, he went and moved across the Delaware River to Philadelphia from Princeton and set up in a roundstone house, a new seminary. And a handful of professors, uh, outstanding Princetonians, came along yeah. with them. So that made uh, Westminster really unique because they had world-class professors starting right from the beginning. Yeah. And what what they had at the same time was the commitment that they would not uh, charge any tuition for the students. You, mm -hmm. If you got accepted, you got world-class Princeton professors who were Orthodox teaching you theology. And so right from the beginning, Westminster was destined to make an impact because of its unique beginning and faculty and its calling. Well, then to round out the story of Machen, uh, because he was a reformer and wanting to keep biblical Christianity front and center, he noticed how the missionaries that were going out from the uh, Presbyterian church were no longer clear about the gospel. They were becoming humanitarians. Uh, the famous book, Pearl Bucks, The Good Earth, which makes uh, universalism, really the heart of, of religion. He said, this cannot be the kind of religious missionaries we send out. So he had the daring to start a new mission board called the Independent Board of Foreign Missions. Well, that got him in trouble because yeah. now he was attacking the mission work of the, of the denomination. Eventually, he was defrocked without ever a hearing all the way to General Assembly. And he was compelled by necessity uh, to say, what do I do? I feel like I'm being faithful to the gospel, and a new church was planted. Hmm. It ultimately became what we know today as the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And sadly, Machen died very quickly after that. Uh, new Year's Day, uh, 1937, I believe, is the year where he passed away. So yeah. a new church, a new seminary, and a classic book along with other writings. And what we're going to talk about today are radio addresses that he had given. So that's the man we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, he's an incredible guy. And it's crazy to think of how much he accomplished and kind of how hated he was his last 10 years of life. And he still accomplished all this stuff, founded a seminary, founded a denomination, wrote prolifically, all the while his former denomination started to take him down. That's right. So he, when you hear the name of Machen, you, he's the kind of person you either love or hate. There's yeah. no neutrality about him. No. Because he was so incisive in his analysis, a brilliant thinker with words that were precise, and he was willing to stand for what was being compromised and abandoned. And so as a result, he created a following and also a real opposition. So if we want to think about it today, that when you hear the word liberal applied to a denomination, you're really hearing a footnote to Machen's debate. He gave us that vocabulary. Now, political liberalism, I tend to think, is a good thing. And Machen was a political liberal. That is free speech, the ability of conscience, the individual. Yeah, yeah. But when you apply it to theology that says we're free from the Bible, 
I don't have to listen to it. It's my own ideas. That kind of liberalism, uh, Machen would say, is a death knell to the church. The gospel will be lost. You've abandoned Christianity. And so we use that word, and most of us don't even know that's Machen still at work in our lives. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds like you, you definitely answered the part of that question, too, um, that it was why it's so important in 2021. I mean, it's just as important now. The apologetics for the Bible um, against Chris, Christian liberalism. There's a lot of counterfeit Christianity out there that uh, we are currently fighting against, right? So this book and reminder of his talks and what he brought to the table, uh, really in apologetics for, for what the Bible says and stands for, um, really is very applicable today. Yeah. So when you, when you read Machen, you have this sense that you're dealing with something that could be happening right now. Yeah, I was about to say that. You're reading his addresses 80 years ago. Like, this could have been written yesterday. I've had people say to me, wow, I've just read this book. It's describing my church. And I said, well, you know, Machen wrote that about 100 years ago almost yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane how, how, uh, how still clear and concise and poignant he is today. So the word timeless and theology come together in Machen. He was, he was very engaged with his day. I mean, he yeah. was talking about issues of culture, making the front page of the New York Times by yeah. his actions and all of that sort of thing. But when he writes, when he speaks, as the book title says, he wanted to speak of things unseen, the eternal realm. And eternity is always relevant when it breaks into time. So mm. that's Nation's desire. Yeah, I love it. So that's how we got the title of the book. Um, and he, the, just how the, how the context of the book is written, what I enjoyed about it, and I think the audience would agree, is uh, before you get into the heart of the book, the each of the chapters, and I'll let you describe what they are. Uh, there's the introduction, preface, and that kind of thing um, with Nichols and Keller, and it's really explaining who Machen was, the background of him, his when he was growing up, his experience at Princeton, uh, opening up Westminster and the OPC, that kind of thing, even up to his death. But could you break down for us maybe how the book is written, the actual context of, you know, there's original scripts, his talks are really each chapter and um, how it's actually best read by the reader, how it's recommended in the book to read and anything, anything extra unique or special that you can kind of put in there about how it's, how this book is put together for the audience. Yeah. So. So basically, when you have a book that's written from scratch, it has a certain form because an author knows you're reading the words on the page and they're there. When Machen gave these, he was somewhere in between a classroom lecture and a Sunday sermon. He was not preaching per se, but he was de delivering theological work, but it was oral. And so the oral character of his talk is still preserved. You could you can almost hear him speaking to you, yeah, you can, yeah. in his voice, which is a fun way. There, it's a uh, it's a suspended animation of radio broadcasts. Yeah. you're listening to him. So that's a, a nice feature. Further, they're broken up in the segment of what uh, a programming length would be. So the chapters are consistently the same. 
and they have a, a, a wonderful ring on their own merit. So each one is holistic. And so I think the way to read it is to read maybe one a day and just enjoy, I'm listening to Machen's broadcast today. And just, it's an easy way to go through. And you'll find the excellencies of his logic, of his speaking and the spiritual application, plus his passion comes through, his love for Christ and, and theology. So that's the first thing. Secondly, the structure is that the first book or if you will, the first series of talks when Machen started, he assumed he was speaking to an audience that included believers and unbelievers because it was a public radio program uh, published by Westminster Seminary, but it was uh, one of the early radio stations in Philadelphia. And so he made the assumption, I'm just talking to people that maybe know nothing about God, nothing about the Bible, or maybe they do, but they really have never thought about having a serious look at it. So if you will, it was uh, kind of like your podcast, trying to take complex ideas and really make them available for the man in the street. Mm -hmm. So you guys are in the Machen spirit, whether you realize it or not. (laughs) So his his first book, his first uh, talks really have an evangelistic ring, making a point of contact with people And he's consciously following the confession where it starts with, well, what is the Bible? Uh, Who is God? What what do we believe about uh, the Trinity and and Revelation and the Holy Spirit? And is Christ really God? The foundational questions that are at the core of Reformed theology but are not distinctively Reformed. This is what historic Christianity has all dealt with one way or another. And so he's laying the foundation. When he comes to the second book, which is really his view of man, we're now moving from outside uh, Christianity to uh, basic Christian ideas to inside Christianity, which is within the church, there are people now who have different views of sin, different views of salvation, different views of grace. You get the word Arminian and you get the word Calvinist, predestination and free will. So because he's dealing theologically, he's moving now from the broader introductory topics that establish a Christian worldview, now to the things that become the intramural debates within the kingdom of God. Hmm. And he wants to be able to say, there's points of contact between Arminians and Calvinists, but we really disagree about big issues. Hmm. And now he's wanting to do the same thing. He's saying, if you're listening with me, I want to talk to you about these items. So now it's not that evangelism disappears because he never forgets he's still talking to all sorts of people out there, but he's now beginning to talk to people wondering, well, what really is the difference between a, an Arminian and a, and a Calvinist, a Presbyterian and a Methodist, a Catholic uh, who is trying to wrestle with the Bible and a real Reformed person who believes in biblical authority? Those are issues that are at the core of his thinking. So that helps to explain the two different books, and their logical uh, sequences of systematic theology applied to a broader audience. Hmm. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's, it's, it's almost right like an It's like common talk. It's yeah. like yeah. your grandpa walking over to you, sitting at the next chair, and just describing the faith to you, and then getting deeper and deeper and deeper as he goes along. That's good. Yeah, you said it perfectly. The logical sequence. Um, I couldn't have said it any better because that's how I I felt like when 
Tim Keller started opening up the book and he explained exactly what you're saying in the introduction, um, how it starts off more generally talking to maybe non-believers very, or even um, explaining Christianity generally in the Bible. And then it goes down. It, it, as you go along, it gets more towards explaining the reform doctrine. Um, so it is a logical sequence of how one would learn this stuff. And um, let me add this thought here is that Machen was initially hired by uh, Princeton Seminary for apologetics. That was the goal that they wanted. And so in the classic Princetonian apologetic, there was the desire to expound the faith and defend the faith. And so his method of apologetics is when you expound the faith truly, you're defending it. Hmm. And as you're going through, you're anticipating objections that people have, and you are unpacking those objections honestly and fairly. You're taking people's criticisms or beliefs, and you're uh, taking it apart. So that logical and biblically-based method is a form of a historic, a positive expression of apologetics. <clears throat> Teach the faith well, and you're defending it in its best form. Yeah, and maybe to add a, a tiny little bit, too, it, it's different than most reform systematic theologies that you would read, whether it be um, Burkhoff or Bob Vink, or if you read Horton, you read somebody else who wrote a, a systematics or Calvin, there's kind of an implicit assumption that you're already reformed or you have some sort of categories versus this one is reformed systematic, but it starts from the very, 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 very beginning and then brings you through and then gets deeper and deeper. So it doesn't assume that you're reformed coming in, which I think is a great way to start. That's good. That's why, that's why it really is a, a good primer for the reformed faith. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit more detailed into this strategic method behind the structure of laying out the book. There is three parts. There's uh, part one, which is the Christian faith in the modern world. And then part two is the Christian view of man. And then part three is the final broadcast. Can you maybe uh, give the audience a little bit more understanding of those particular layouts of those categories? Yeah, so Machen was asked to do this work by a board member by the name of Edwin Ryan, who was very much a uh, recruiter and fundraiser for the seminary in its early years. And he recognized uh, that uh, a, a new seminary needed to get its brand name out there. And so he, he, they thought through the best way to do it. And Machen uh, said, okay, I will do this radio program and we'll use it uh, to share the faith that we hold. And it didn't start out as a distinctive Westminster broadcast. It was really just Christian teaching. But as he moves in the later uh, parts of the, of the book, in the second book, as he's doing it more, now the theological distinctives of the Reformed faith, it becomes more evident that this is connected with Westminster. I think it could have been that I could imagine Ed, uh, Ed when Ryan was saying, please say more about the seminary. We need to get more friends. Yeah. <laughs> so Machen not only accepted the, the duty to do this an opportunity, but also began to do some marketing uh, to, to make the message more relevant because he knew he was <clears throat> looking for funders as well as students, as well as ministry, all legitimate tasks <clears throat> of a seminary leader. So, we also know in the introduction of the book, Machen tells us that uh, 
John Murray was one of the advisors that he had with him. So he had this young uh, biblical theologian, systematic theologian speaking into his, helping him to structure things in a way. So all of that is going on. And as we move toward the very end, we are now at the stage in Machen's life where there are many struggles that are coming to a head. He has been spending his life trying to start a new seminary and defend the faith. He started a new mission board. He has lost his position in the church. A new denomination is formed. And there are even some controversies, as often happens in a new movement, that have to be addressed. And so he is stretched in every possible way, and he's still wanting to minister and carry on this work. So the reason that we come to book three with such a short amount is that his candle has been burned on both sides and it's coming to its end. Mm. He is compelled to go uh, in his conscience to help some new church plants up in the Dakotas that needed attention. And his uh, friend said, don't go, you're exhausted. And he said, I have to go. Mm. So he had done some of the talks that were going to be uh, prepared. And that's why there's so few at the end, because he ends up going, he contracts pneumonia, and he dies on New Year's Day, 1937. Mm. So he's not able to finish book three. Mm. But what he was clearly beginning to do is develop uh, more the theological distinctives of the, of the Reformed faith a la Westminster and its movement, the church, and that would have been the direction he would have continued to go because he was honing in, but he was not able to finish that. And so we, we all are uh, mindful of the remarkable last words that he has. He sent a telegram back to his friends in Philadelphia as he's dying. Now, his friends are far away. You remember, in those days, there's no airplane that easily takes you from point A to point B. Yeah. He's in the Dakotas dying of pneumonia, and his tele- telegram says, uh, thanks to God for the act of obedience of Christ. There's no hope without it. In other words, he's thinking theologically, and that is the last topic, basically, of his radio talks. He was thinking about what he was delivering and on his deathbed. He's saying, Christ has fulfilled all the law for us. That's why there's any hope for our righteousness. I can't get my job done. You can hear the, the sense of, I'm dying. I, I, I have so much to do and no time left, but thanks be to God, it's not me getting everything done. It's that Christ has done it all for me. Mm-hmm. His righteousness is imputed to me, received by faith, his act of obedience. He bore the curse for me. And of course, all of those things become part of the blessing of what we're talking about here. So mm-hmm. book three is cut short, and that's just the way God in his providence had it be. Yeah. Hmm. And we, we touched on this a little bit before, so I apologize if the answer is redundant, but I think it's super important that we, it's clear what his, who his primary audience was. So he, a lot of his, based on a lot of his published material. So we went into, he, he speaks to a lot of lay people, the masses, general people, but also people in churches, maybe even other reformed people. So um, that would be kind of maybe re-understanding that. Could you, could you go into that a little bit more? So this is part of the uh, 
unique giftedness that we have in Machen as a scholar. Imagine he can write a, a textbook on learning New Testament Greek. That means you have to be a master of that language to yeah. be able to teach it to beginners and make sense of it. He's able to write scholarly tomes. We haven't talked about these, the, the origin of Paul's religion, all the great questions of, of, the, of the what we call biblical introduction to the New Testament. How did Paul's theology come about? What is its historical milieu? How did it shape it with other religions and things? He, he wrote one of the greatest defenses ever of the virgin birth of Christ, which was one of the things attacked by theological liberalism. And so he grounds it in theological, historical, biblical narrative and def defends it. So here he's, an, he's able to do theological students, theological liberals. He writes the book that uh, thinking people about the church would uh, take on, which is Christianity and liberalism. What is the true thing? But having been able to look at all of these audiences, now he's looking at the untouched audience of the city of Philadelphia and any place his voice might go. And he's starting right at the beginning, like a, an apologist. And then, but as an apologist, he's mindful that even unbelievers uh, who need to hear these things are very similar to believers who are starters. They have the same questions. If God is really there, then who is he? I believe in him. But, and so he's, he's going down, if you will, to, to the Sunday school level, the basic beginning, and to the unbeliever. And then because he's a good a pedagogical thinker, he's beginning as he goes through his books to build upon each thought so that he's taking you along and he's now in a discipleship course. It's a discipleship course if you're listening in, whether you're a believer or not. He's remembering not everybody is. So in, in that sense, these works are Machen remembering the fact that while he's a theologian in a highly scholarly world, he's also a Christian in a world where there are many people in the church and outside the church that do not know the basics of the treasures of the faith, and he wants to teach them too. That's the kind of pastor I hope Westminster is producing today and that churches have someone who can deal with the high intellectual problems that come in theology and they know what they believe, but they don't stay there. They come down, they're not afraid to talk about the very beginning things with the new believer or they have a time of building over years with the congregation, helping them to mature, to become, if you will, lay theologians, people who can handle the word of God and handle the confession. So he really is, in my opinion, the, the master uh, teacher. He knows his audience, he knows his material, and then he focuses what he has to say, what's relevant for them without compromising his message. So yeah. he, he's really an extraordinary teacher in that regard. Yeah, he's a, a world-class scholar who, at the same time when he's talking to those who are learning about the faith, who are interested, and those who know something about the faith, they're still upbuilt. But he always, he never forgets those who come from outside the church who have no idea. So he, like, he beautifully weaves these in throughout this, this book. Yeah. So uh, forgive the, the uh, analogy, but I'll offer it this way. If you try to get a heart of what reformed architecture is aesthetically, mm. sometimes it's been called profound simplicity. Hmm. There's something majestic, but it's very, very simple. Yeah. Well, when a great theologian is teaching, there's profound 
simplicity. Hmm. You get what they're talking about, but you realize there's so much more that you're reaching for and you never yeah. can get it all and you want to know more. <laughs> yeah. So the, the aesthetics of our theology and the aesthetics of our architecture go hand in hand. And Machen clearly had that ability to be profound and simple at the same time that makes you come back and say, I want to keep learning from this man. Hmm. Yeah, he it's almost like he hit two birds with one theological stone. <laughs> <laughs> or had many, many, many birds with one. Yeah, there we go. Stone. Yeah, he's 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 ridiculous. I mean we've we've talked about it a little bit, but just to kind of fine print. So he he not only founded with a couple other professors, Westminster Theological Seminary, also the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, wrote, I mean, a bunch of scholarly works. So he's, he's not just, and not saying you can't be just a churchman, but he's, he's a churchman, he's a theologian, he's an author. Um, I mean, this, is this something like that was kind of bred into him? Is this like, was this his, like, like what, what created this passion, if you can kind of summarize this concisely in, in Machen, to, to be all of this for, yeah. for his listeners? Well, I think uh, we can even add another dimension. He was on the forefront of what today we've come to call public theology. Hmm. He was taking issues of, of uh, the state, talking about education and, and the concern about uh, the f required public education, taking away the hmm. education of children by parents, state laws. So he was he was concerned even about the public square, which is an interesting point. But if you look at Machen, what made him uniquely what he was is that, first of all, he was a precocious child and a, a unique talent. God endowed him with certain gifts that all of us don't get to have. Yeah. He also had a, a very godly mother and a scholarly father. His father was uh, an accomplished lawyer. His mother uh, really worked hard to help him develop a highly committed catechetical understanding of, of the Reformed faith. So he grew up with a lot of serious uh, training. And so at home, I think there was a lot of scholarly encouragement to learn the original languages of Latin and Greek. He went to Johns Hopkins and he's graduated at the top of his class. So he was a really very, very diligent student. Yeah. And uh, he had a master's degree in theology and philosophy, so he had studied very carefully. And then he did doctoral studies uh, in Europe right at the heyday of the great Protestant liberal theologians. Yeah. So he knew uh, the, uh, if you want to say it this way, he was in the lion's den of unbelief within the church. Mm. That was the heyday of that movement. And what's fascinating is that Machen communicates very clearly that he was really challenged by the fact that his professors in Europe seemed to be such godly men, hmm. such good men, and yet had such radical disbelief in the Bible that he wondered, well, do you really need Christianity to be good? Hmm. Maybe Christianity is not true. And so he, he wrestled with all of those things. And my understanding is he said that what kept him from going off the deep end of Protestant liberalism is something like you hear in St. Augustine. It was my mother's prayers, mm. that my, my mother's uh, love for Christ that she imbued into me, kept me grounded in the things and kept me coming back to what do I really believe? What is the truth? And so I just want to remind all the ladies that are out there raising children now, your theological training of your children may impact a generation you'll never get to see. 
Interesting, yeah. And we don't know how important that is. And Augustine and Machen both say, thank God for godly mothers. And that's that's part of So the home education, in some ways, maybe even more strategic in the long run than a seminary education. But I'm not against seminary education. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, obviously, yeah, that's 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 a good word. That's a good word for I mean a lot of different people and a lot of a lot of women, I'm assuming, who are just especially the last year or so when things have been so rough to yeah. be faithful. And that's like you said, this is this is a huge call. Uh and not just your child will one day be Dr. Machin, but it's um their their impact is is just as strong as, as Machin's impact too. Well, if I were to, I can't psychoanalyze the dead, so forgive me for even saying yeah. this, but let's Let's just assume there's a modicum of truth in what I'm about to say. Had Machen come from a different family, his brilliance could have made him an egghead that had no interest Hmm. in anybody but scholars. Hmm. What happened in his life? He clearly was grounded in his home to love others that were not as advanced and skilled and talented. And he didn't forget that. And that's what comes out in these radio talks. And I think that we today we'd call that an EQ along with an IQ. Yeah. He had an emotional quotient that said, I have to care about those that don't know what I know. And it's not for me that I know them. All, to whom much is given, much is required. And so he was committed to advancing the faith far beyond uh, just the scholarly community. And I think that is that is also... A great reminder is for our seminarians who might be listening in today. Remember that your value is to your congregation. And the reason your value is so great is because of all the things you've learned that makes you a unique leader. It's both ends. The scholar pastor is the ideal. In that sense, while Machen never was a pastor, in these talks, he was becoming a pastor to his city. He was trying to reach out to them as a professor a scholar caring for the needs of those who didn't know and needed to grow. Yeah. So last two questions, kind of wrapping this stuff up. I mean, just an, an incredible interview on, on Dr. Machen. Um, so what, what kind of footprint has Dr. Machen left, not just on the, on the Presbyterian church in particular, reformed theology in particular, but what kind of legacy for Christians as a whole has Dr. Machen left? I think we can look at his legacy in both a positive and a critical way. And I'm trying to reflect what people have said. Yeah. That in the positive way, I many, many could easily argue the reason that there is a biblically based, relevant, reformed ecclesiastical movement today hmm. is because Machen helped preserve the last vestige of what was there of it at Princeton that was getting ready to destroy it. Yeah. It was becoming just total Protestant liberalism. And he said, no, we're going to keep this legacy going and alive. And so to the fact that there's a Westminster, Philadelphia, Westminster, California, a reformed theological seminary network of schools, others in the reformed legacy, that's, that is somehow a footnote to Machen's commitment. He kept that movement alive and with a theological integrity. So that is a great legacy. The legacy of the church, whether it's the OPC or the PCA, uh, both of them recognize a real commitment to Machen's churchmanship and a church that's faithful to scripture, confessional in character, and at its best, 
doing radio talks like mm-hmm. Machet did, you know, getting mm-hmm. the word out to the to the public square and to the society. Those are legacies. Now, where we might say uh, that we can criticize, and the scholars have done this, and as well as members of his church, that when a person comes out of a, a battle for the fundamentals, as it became known, the fundamentals of the faith, mm-hmm. fundamentalism has the danger of being reduced to the things you debate about. What are the fundamentals? This is what we're fighting about, and that's all we talk about. Now, Machen didn't want to be called a fundamentalist. He wanted to be called a confessional Presbyterian. He says, you can't reduce my views to the five fundamentals of the faith. We need to have the confession and the full orb of biblical teaching. But when you are in that movement, which he was part of addressing the issues of the day and the fundamentalist documents came out, he became known as one of the fundamentalists. And in a sense, he was, but in another sense, he said, that's not what I want to be identified as. So those of us that follow in the Machen legacy will always have to deal with the epithet of you're just a fundamentalist, you know, in other words, which has changed its meaning through the years. Today, it means you're radically committed and you have no brain. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. well, for Machen, he was radically committed, and he had a brain bigger than almost anybody, so yeah. <laughs> it doesn't fit. So that's one. Another part is sometimes we've heard it in the words uh, of, of a, a popular study called Machen's Warring Children. Hmm. In other words, he gave us a legacy of fighting uh, theologians, fighting fundamentalists in some people's minds, or the people that are contending for the faith and that were, uh, let's say, on the attack that we're causing problems, we want to debate. There's always a danger of that too. When you stand for truth, it's going to create a wake. You're going to be dividing things because of movement. But I think Francis Schaeffer, who is somebody who was deeply in the Machen tradition, who loved Machen and got moved to do his work, uh, he I remember him saying so clearly at one point in his ministry, let us never forget how Paul puts together in Ephesians for truth and love, speak the truth in love. And so one of the things that we need to have when we follow Machen's example is that we not only have the truth side of it, but we also have the love side of it, of ministry, which is what these radio addresses and things unseen does. It says we love our neighbor. We want them to know the truth, want to care for them. Yeah. So uh, it's like anything. If you have a tool or a weapon, it can be deadly or it can be constructive, depending how you use it. <clears throat> so Machen's legacy has been used both ways. <clears throat> it's not to be triumphalistic. It's to be establishing the truth and then ministering for the sake of the gospel. So those are some thoughts. Yeah, that's good. And with uh, with some of that background too, and and some of the books you've talked about, if if there's so one of them is Christianity and Liberalism that that Machen wrote about a hundred years ago. Um, is there anything else that you can recommend for for our listeners and people listening to read about Machen, or is there is there future works like this that are coming on the Machen? Is there anything that's coming up that's that's helpful in this in this line? Okay, well, there's a, a couple things that I can say. One is the classic. Uh, original biography of uh, Machen was done by Ned Stonehouse, one oh, yeah. of the professors he brought. That's a that's a classic to read. Uh, we've had others that have uh, been developed through the years. For example, we have uh, Steve Nichols, who's uh, one of the uh, endorsers of this book and wrote the preface. He He's written one. Okay. 
there, there are other great scholars who have done lots of work in that. So that those are available uh, for your, your reading that might be useful. But I also think we're hoping Westminster Seminary Press will, in fact, be producing sometime in the next few years the collected writings of J. Gressa Machen. So if you want to have all of his articles, all of his uh, great writings in one place, uh, that, that is destined to appear in the right time. Uh, if you want probably the most scholarly treatment of Machen's life, Daryl Hart wrote a, a classic book that is on, on Machen. So that, hmm. so I would say the original is Stonehouse, the most scholarly is Hart, and the most uh, popular reader is Nichols. Hmm. So that those would all be worth reading if you wanted to pursue it. Hmm. Other things that will be coming out in Machen, we'll have to see. We have some, some uh, possible other thoughts. But yeah. Westminster did produce, uh, when the uh, copyright disappeared, on uh, Christianity and liberalism. It's now in the public domain. Anybody can print it. We did a collected uh, essay of all of our faculty and issued a Westminster version of it. So right, that's yeah. floating around. And that might be an interesting piece for people because it will show contemporary theological scholars at Westminster talking how Machen's seminal work still influences their thinking today. Mm. So that that's available. And it's easily uh, gotten through Westminster Seminary. We're glad to make that available. Great, yeah. Good stuff. So those are some ideas anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah, that's some good stuff coming down the pipeline for sure. And uh, this was fantastic talking to you about this book and Machen. The audience is probably super excited to learn more about Machen and how he makes the case for the authority of the Bible, the deity of Christ and the resurrection and the core of our Christian faith and apologetics. Yeah. So thanks. Is, yeah. Thanks for coming on and talking about this, Dr. Lubeck. Yeah. It's, it's a tremendous privilege. I pray the Lord will bless your work in a mighty way. Thank you very so, much. One final encouragement. Some have said C.S. Lewis was the great apologist for Christianity. And yet Machen is probably even more effective than C.S. Lewis, if yeah. you want to have a biblical ring. He has this, a, a number of uh, points of uh, integration for the popular defense of the faith, but this is C.S. Lewis for the Reformed tradition. Yeah. I love it, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we, we didn't touch too much on that, but yeah, this is, I mean, I've read Mere Christianity, which is his, his audio lectures, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, this is Dr. Machen taking C.S. Lewis and putting it Reformed. Yeah, that's it's a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah. Well, Love blessing it. you, brothers. Thanks for the honor to be with you. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. What's up, guys? We hope you enjoyed learning about J. Gresham Machen from Dr. Peter Lilbeck. Yeah, his book, Things Unseen, which was published, I think, like six months ago through Westminster Seminary Press. Um, Nick will talk a little bit more about it, but we're super excited to talk about this book. Might be some of your guys' first introduction to Dr. Machen uh, on this book and how Dr. Lilback kind of tied everything together. But yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. Yeah, it was my first introduction to Dr. Machen. I've heard his name, of course, before and some snippets here or there of what he believed and what he said and all that stuff. I knew he uh, founded the OPC and Westminster Seminary, but this book is very unique. Um, it's got some well-known contributors 
but also it's unique in the fact that every chapter is one of his talks. Yeah. And so the best way to probably read this, if you listen to the episode and you remember Dr. Lilback's advice, maybe read one a day. Yep. And, and that's what I'm doing. It's going to take 50 days, but you know, super worth it. It is. It's only a few, few pages per talk. Yeah. I think it's like five to eight pages. They're really short. Yeah. And, and I think what it also, what's helpful is it starts off introducing you to uh, Christianity, the Bible in a general sense. And then as you go on, it gets more doctrinal on what the reformed church is. And so a good way to think about it, if you need you guys, like uh, we've both read um, Your Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This is kind of like a reformed version of uh, Mere Christianity. So, yep. so great book. I think a lot of people are going to want that book. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I'm, I've already introduced it to a bunch of people that I know who want to learn about their faith, but it starts out super broad and mm-hmm. then it kind of gets more and more focused, like you said onto reform distinctives and we all agree on these things talks about like the history of it apologetics and then just gets further and further clear on what the gospel is and how the reformed um, view the gospel but yeah it's it's such a good book machin was bridging the gap before we (laughs) he really was well before we were born he really was yeah we're not doing anything new he was on the radio talking to believers non-believers alike about reformed doctrine and he was he was uh like literally he was the height of like scholarliness he was incredibly bright on new york times like he was he was in that academy but he knew how to make these things very clear for your average person mm-hmm. so yeah we have a we have a cool like cool like kind of different way of doing this this giveaway so we're not actually giving away any books mm. what we're doing is with Uh, partnership with Westminster bookstore is they already have a sale going through the end of this month. It's something like 30 or 40% off. It's a pretty big chunk that they're taking off. But if you guys use coupon code GGG, so for guilt, grace, gratitude, GGG, you guys get free shipping. If you guys are within the U S you guys get free shipping. That's on top of already their sale. And that's if you get it from westminsterbooks.com. That's a great deal. It's a huge deal. I think it's like 24 bucks right now on their website. And it's usually like 50. You guys get that with free shipping. That's better than Amazon. Yeah. And um, I would say across the board for the general public, this is probably the best giveaway we have. It's not oh, technically, yeah. a give- I mean, it's a giveaway on shipping, but it's already a reduced cost. Totally. And the best deal you're going to get for getting this book. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, tell your friends about it. Retweet this stuff. Uh, let as many people as you know. So just get so this book and these doctrines get into more hands. Uh, it's I I don't know of a better way of getting introduced to the Reformed faith in such a broad way than mm. this book has done. Yeah. All right, that's that's it. So let's, yep. let's do it. And then you guys, we'll see you this coming Monday again. We've already teased the title as the Kingdom of God. We won't say who the guest is yet. You guys will find that out Monday morning. So say I pay attention to that, wait for that. And then next week, you guys already know the book club episode we're having. And then we have our season two reflection episode, uh, two, like a week and a half from now. And we're also teasing some things that we're, we've been working on for a little bit. So we, we hope to see you guys next week. Yep. <laughs>